I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church because we're taught the truth and we love people. I love my church because everyone is designed to serve, even in junior high ministry. I love my church because this is my home. I love my church because I've learned about God's grace towards me and how to extend it to others. I love my church because we are better together. I love my church because we care enough about people to tell them the truth, whether or not it's popular. I love my church because marriage mentoring saved our marriage. I love my church because my whole family is here. I love my church. <laughs> I love my church because I'm able to go to summer and winter camp. I love my church because it offers an opportunity for my children and myself to grow our relationship with God deeper. I love my church because of the teachers that teach me. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church because of the fun activities. I love my church because generous people transform the world. I love my church because it feels like my family. I love my church. I love my church. We love our church. <laughs> now, would you please turn with me to your study outline? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, the hundreds of you that join us every Sunday online. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, and also First Baptist Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Now, we've been doing this series, I Love My Church. And it's got uh, six parts to it. Part one, we talked to six reasons we love our church. Six reasons connection with the local church is going to change your life. And the first one that I talked about was the local church as a context for lifelong friendships. Those of you junior hires, high schoolers, you are making friends that will last for a lifetime. I made friends in my high school youth group and, and, and in church when I was in high school and junior high that I still keep contact with them. I'm still texting with them on a regular basis, even though they're back in Virginia. It's a context for lifelong friendships. Uh, the local church helps you figure out your purpose for which God made you. Uh, Pastor Eric uh, preached a couple weeks ago, how the local church helps you figure out your identity in Christ. Last Sunday, I talked about the local church enlists you in the greatest movement in world history. And today, we love our church because the church teaches us how to be generous. Now, there are three ways you can live your life. You'll see it there on your study outline. Uh, first way is living for the short term. This is the way most people live their lives, 100% for here and now, 0% for the future, saving for the future, 0% uh, invested in eternity. That's one way many people live their lives. The second way is living for the long term. And that's where you live off of, you learn to live off of 90% of your income, you save 10% for the future, but 0% to invest in eternity. Now, we get mixed messages from our culture and society about this. I always have to laugh whenever the economic report comes out. They'll say, good news, Americans are spending more and saving less. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that might be good news for a short-term stimulus to the economy, but that is bad news for Americans, not to be saving and just to spend everything that they, we get our hands on. 
Okay, so you get a mixed message, but most of the time, well, you'll see on TV all kinds of commercials about are you saving enough for retirement? Are you saving enough for the future? Maybe it's just the TV shows that I watch, but it seems like Kimberly and I always see those shows, uh, commercials, the shows that we watch that say, you know, are you saving enough for retirement? What are you doing to save uh, for the future? And you're told when you're young, when you're in your 20s, that boy, you save a dollar in your 20s, then it'll multiply time and time again by the time you get to my age. And so it's a great thing to be challenged on. Or, or maybe you have a financial advisor, and the whole role of that financial advisor is for him or her uh, to challenge you. Are you saving enough for the future? And so that is a value within our culture. But 0% uh, invested for eternity to the needs of people and to share Christ uh, with others and take people with you to heaven. But here, the third way to live is the way you will be challenged to live in the local church. And this is why I love my local church, because it taught me, it taught me how to be generous, and it gave me examples of people that were generous, and it showed me a pathway to being generous, and it it was a built-in reminder every week that I attended, it was a built-in reminder to be jealous. Here is what we believe the Bible prescription for a blessed life is, and this is where you learn to live on 80% of your income. You save 10% for the future, for the long term, and you invest 10% by giving to the needs of people and the the work of the Lord um, um, through the local church and other uh, avenues in order to invest in heaven. This is what we believe, uh, what Jesus taught to be success in our lives. Now, it's hard to live on 80% of what you make. Kimberly and I, when we first started out, um, a little country church in in upstate New York, making $1,000 a month. Uh, That was our sum of our income. And so we had to learn to live on $800 a month rather than on $1,000 a month. Um, and I know for those of you that are younger, they may sound like big money, but it doesn't go very far, okay? And so we learned to live on that and to save 10% for the future and, and, to, and to give away 10% uh, to the work of the Lord. And God has so blessed us in that. And that is the Bible teaches, Jesus taught, that is success. The 80-10-10 life is success. Learn to live on 80% of your income, save 10% for the future, uh, and, and give 10% investing in eternal uh, reward and taking friends with you to heaven. Now, this is hard. It's a hard place. And, and you'll see at the end of your study outline, we've got a resources for you that I want to share again at the end. Uh, there's a web, You go to our website and you just put in there, Pastor Adrian, uh, our junior high pastor, has made a fabulous website of all these resources to help us to, to bring our spending under control and to get budgeted and to save for the future and to know how to give. And you can just go to that website. It'll give you all kinds of information. Um, or we're going to have a financial resource table right out in the middle of the lobby. And Janet Gifford, who's the head of our financial ministry team, uh, she's going to be there, and she's an expert in this area, and she's going to talk to you about any concerns or questions you might have. And nobody is going to judge you because nobody has their act completely together in this. Does anybody want to say amen to that? I know I don't. And so nobody's going to judge. We just want to help because we believe it is such a blessing. And maybe you want to start like with 95-5, saving 5% and giving 5%. Or maybe you'll leave, it just starts somewhere. It's like working out. Uh, you can tell that I work out a lot, and, but I had to start somewhere. You don't get a body like this just overnight. You get it through, you had to start somewhere. And so, I, I'm just kidding, you know, they, you know, they call me squeaky in the gym because my weights are so light, they squeak. So, whenever I go like this, they don't go, you know, the, 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 really, the heavy lifters, uh, there's some of them in the church that I work out with, and their, their stack of weights goes, 
mine go, so that's, they call me squeaker in the, in the gym. And so you got to start somewhere. And so maybe you need to be a 98, one in one person, learn to live on 90% of your income, save 1%, give away 1%. And if God is faithful, and I know he will be, you increase it by a percent next year. And then a percent after that the next year. Now here's our goal for you at Purpose Church, for me, for all of us. At Purpose Church, we desire that every person experience financial freedom through tithing 10%, saving 10%, and managing the remaining 80% for the glory of God. Because it's all God's after all. You know, none of it's ours. It's all on loan to us from God. Nobody was born and popped out, uh, you know, in, in, in the hospital, okay, or wherever you were born, loaded with all kinds of possessions and money. It's all on loan from God. And so at Purpose Church, we desire that every person experience financial freedom through tithing 10%, saving 10%, and managing the remaining 80% for the glory of God. Now, the great thing about the local church is you've got examples of how that is done. Uh, I've had people that inspired me that I've watched through the years to kind of figure out what this looks like and, and, and how it's done. And I want to share one with you now, and it takes a little bit of time. I want you to know, you know, it, it takes about seven minutes or so. There's three parts to it, but we're going to look at all three of the parts because it's right here from Pomona. So it's not somebody far away and distant. It's from right here in, in, in our own community. And it's just like, I always say a picture's worth a thousand words. And it is a picture I could teach thousands and thousands of words, but this is going to give you a picture of the blessed life uh, that Jesus is talking about and that I'm talking about within God's Word. Let's watch this. At Earthlink, we believe the internet can change the way you live, the way you work, the way you learn. Well, I was at Earthlink for, for 10 years, and... While I was there, you know, Earthlink stock went public. And overnight, my stock, stock options were, you know, several million dollars. I show up to work the next day, and there were um, uh, administrative assistants showing up, you know, in their new, you know, Audi TTs and uh, VPs showing up in their, you know, new Mercedes Benzes. And I uh, came to work with my, uh, my car, you know, the, 91 Geo Metro, <laughs> you know, three cylinders. <laughs> I'm Tom, and this is my wife Bree, and we live in Pomona, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. It is the fourth largest city in LA County. It's bigger than Pasadena, uh, but it is also the second poorest city in LA County. So it's that's a lot of poverty over a large population. When I was in college, Isaiah 58 convicted me of God's love for the poor, and I felt like I didn't understand his heart for the poor, and I wanted to because I wanted to understand more of God's heart. And so because of that, um, I moved to Pomona, California, to the inner city, um, to work with the poor and see how God worked and what his love was like. When we were engaged and decided that we would live at or, meet, or below the medium household income level for the nation, um, we looked at our budget and we realized that one of the first things that was going to get impacted was uh, this honeymoon trip that we had been talking about, this overseas trip. What's amazing is a year later, we get a call from Target and they said, congratulations, you've won our honeymoon giveaway sweepstakes. 
And they said, and you, you registered for a telephone pan. Which we still have. Which we still have. And they said that automatically entered you into the telephone target giveaway, you know, honeymoon giveaway sweepstakes. What we won was a seven-day, all-expense-paid trip to Tuscany, Italy. It was really amazing. But what I remember from that time was um, Bree turning to me and saying, this is God's confirmation that He will take care of us, that He will be generous, and He will give us more than, you know, than we can imagine. And that's been true. Growing up in the suburbs, I never really got to know many people. I never got to know my neighbors. People would drive their cars into their uh, garages and go in their house and come back out through their garages and, you know, actually never saw anyone. And one day, Bree and I were walking down the street in front of our apartment and two boys stopped us in the street and they asked us if we knew the Bible. And we said, yes, we do. And they said, would you teach it to us and our friends? And we said, Sure, yeah. Come to our apartment Wednesday at 5 p.m. You know where we live, and we'll teach you the Bible. And so they show up Wednesday, 5 p.m., with half a dozen of their friends. Every week they show up to study the Bible. I've never had that happen to me before in the suburbs, but in a place of, where there's a lot of darkness, even the kids know the feel that there's got to be something more. There must be something better. And we get to be a part of that light, be part of um, shining God's light here in this neighborhood. Um, living in Pomona in the inner city gives us a lot of unique ministry experiences. There was a girl named Jenny um, who had, I had known for many years, and we invited her to live with us at the point when her life started to fall apart. Well, in the first month, she put on 10 pounds because she was just eating regular meals again and getting up at a normal time, getting to school. I went to the high school and got her transcripts and she was still failing every class across the board. But in the remaining 12 weeks of school, she got all her grades up. She finished with A, Bs, and Cs. Uh, that year, as with you know, other years, you know, we continued to live on the medium household income level, which was about... 45000 that year, but uh, on Jenny, we probably spent an uh, extra 30000 just on her. We saw Jenny's life completely change in 12 weeks from being a very undernourished and depressed young girl to um, really coming alive. And it was amazing that God would have us be a part of that transformation for her in her life. And I think we have to just believe as people who follow Jesus that our lives can make a difference um, when we follow Him in what we're called to do. I, I had heard from a good friend, um, neighbors that we'd known for 15 years, that they were not living in their apartment anymore and they were living in their mom's place. Um, with a heroin addict in the living room and the TV on all night. And I could see in the kids' faces that um, their life was just crumbling and that they really weren't doing well because of the environment. Even though Irma's a great mom, Jerry's a great dad, um, it just, you, you can't really raise a family in a living room with uh, people coming in and out and heroin needles all around. Rhea and I started thinking 
about the idea that maybe God was calling us to invite the Raelises, Jerry and Irma, and their kids to, to move in with us. It was amazing to be family together. And it was, you know, similar to when we had Jenny live with us, you know, the, just the sense of family, her being part of our family, the, the power of family. When the Raelises left, you know, I knew there was emotional challenges for Cadence some of the time, right? Because she did lose some of her space and she did lose some of her toys. And I asked her afterwards, well, what, what did you learn? It was hard, but, um, but then, yeah, but if you let it happen, your heart gets bigger and there's more, and there's room for more people, so it's really worth it. People will come to Tom and I sometimes and ask how they live their lives um, radically or, you know, following Jesus um, in a similar way we do. And, and there's the one answer to that is you really have to ask Jesus what he's given you and what he's asking you to give away and what he's asking you to hold on to. So there's no a formula for what kind of life to live. There's only a listening to Jesus and a conviction. And all you have to do is ask how with what God's given you. Now there's a picture. Another example, if you look at your program, uh, is um, James and Alyssa Brom uh, from our church family here, and just an awesome story. If you get a chance to read that, I encourage you to make sure you do. Now Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on heaven, on earth, your treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks, as we talked a little bit about why the Bible talks so much about sex, and, and I'm sure particularly young adults and high schoolers and junior hires, it just seems like all the, you know, all the pastor talks about is sex and money, sex and money. And, it, and it's interesting that Jesus talked more about money than any other subject except maybe hell. He talked about hell and money more than any other subject. Hell because he came so that nobody would have to go there. You know, if we choose to follow Jesus, we don't have to go there. We choose to go there by choosing to reject Jesus. And so he talked about hell. We understand that one. But why did Jesus talk about money as much as any other subject? And then you go to Paul, and he talks about sex, you know, a, a, a great deal. And so you're like, okay, why do pastors always talk about sex and money? Well, because the Bible talks about it all the time. And if you're going to be faithful to preach the same proportion of things that are in the Bible, you're going to bring up those two subjects a lot. And I got to thinking about it. Why is it? And here's why I think. If you can learn to trust God and obey God in those two areas, sex and money, everything else is easy by comparison. Okay, It'll, it's like, what do they call that? The linchpin, the domino. I mean, if you can obey him in those two areas, the rest is kind of a cakewalk. It all kind of falls into place. And so Jesus talked about money because he knew when we obey him in that area, the other stuff will come along. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and the other things will fall into place. There was a prominent businessman, very wealthy, very successful in Chicago in the late 1800s. 
And he was also a Christ follower. And so he gave a lot of it away to the Lord's work and to reaching people for Christ and, and, uh, and to his church and, and to helping people in need and the poor. And, and in those days, you didn't have stock portfolios or mutual funds. Almost all your holdings were in concrete assets. And so most of what he owned was in the real estate market, the real estate of the buildings and houses of Chicago. And then the great Chicago fire happened in 1871, and it wiped out most of the city of Chicago, including almost everything this man owned. And so his friend said to him after it's over, man, now do you regret all that that you gave away? You know, now that you've lost like everything, aren't you sad for what you gave away? And he goes, are you kidding me? That's the only thing I still have is what I gave away. You see, if he had held on to it, it would have burned up just like the other stuff, the other buildings. He just would have had a a few more buildings which would have burned up in the Great Chicago Fire. That's a perfect analogy and picture of our lives. You see, it's all going to burn up someday. And all that's going to be left is what we gave away. We all die and we leave it all behind. And the only thing we're moving towards rather than away from is that which we give away. And that's why it's so wonderful that the church challenges us how to be generous. Where are you going to be challenged to live that kind of life except in the church? Years ago, the New York Observer said, infidelity makes a great outcry about its philanthropy, but religion does the work. You know, it just is a little irritating to me sometimes when Hollywood stars will, oh my goodness, you know, so-and-so gave away $10,000 and you know they make ten. dollars million, $30 million, and, and everybody, oh, that's so awesome. I'm like, are you kidding me? I can beat that with a widow on Social Security in my church, you know? We got, we got widows on Social Security that are out giving that particular Hollywood star. So infidelity makes a great outcry about its philanthropy, but religion does the work. We'll say, Glenn, back that up. Can you back that up? Yeah. A Gallup organization, you'll see during the uh, presidential campaign season and during the political season, a lot of uh, Gallup polls. They're considered the gold standard in, in polling. They found that those who attended religious services weekly were clearly the most generous givers of both time, okay, volunteering, and of money compared with all other groups. People who attended church regularly were far more likely to give a higher percentage of their household income to charitable causes. Now, why is that? Because church is the only place that you regularly get challenged to serve and to give. Two of the core values of Purpose Church were designed to serve, and number two, generous people transform the world. Uh, There's a book that I've mentioned here before uh, called Who Really Cares by Arthur C. Brooks. He's a sociologist from Syracuse University. He did a study of who in America is truly charitable. And he was not a Christ follower. He didn't like the results he came up with. But here's what he came up with in his research. That you can, the the main factor, the primary factor in whether a person is generous in their giving or not is how regularly they attend church. And you've heard me say this before many, many times, okay? That those that attend church every Sunday tend to be more generous than those that attend every other Sunday. Those that attend twice a month are more generous than those that attend once a month. Those that attend once a month are more generous than those that never attend church. Now, why is that? Well, because church is the only place you'll go to where you're regularly challenged to serve and to give. And so it only makes sense that because this is the place where we're challenged and inspired and given examples like the Shea family um, of, of doing that, that that has an impact on our lives uh, over time. 
Let me give you an, um, an example of, of what I'm talking about, particularly in the area of service. Uh, this campus is just pumping 24-7 uh, serving people. I mean, that you just can't believe it. This campus goes all the time through the week. Let me just give you a glimpse at the last 48 hours, and it's only what I happen to observe. It doesn't mean that this is all that was going on. It just means what I happen to see. Let's go last 48 hours. Uh, Friday, I'm preparing my sermon. Look out the window, and right over here on Holt Avenue is our um, Everyone Free in, in Pomona a ministry to those, the, uh, the outreach to human trafficking victims there on, on Holt Avenue. And I got the report back from Pastor Tomiko that Two of the people that um, came to that ministry from the streets of Pomona were led to Christ on our campus on Friday afternoon. <laughs> then, you, then, you, then you come to Saturday. Then you come to yesterday. And I'm driving to uh, preach at this thing called Operation Hope. We have a couple hundred people up on Mission Boulevard. It was an outreach uh, to the homeless. And so they had asked me to do an evangelistic uh, message to, to call people to come to Christ. And so many people, several people did. And in response to that, Pastor Sean was there. And then I get there, and I didn't know this was going to happen. And here's a bunch of people from Purpose Church. Surpri- die of not surprise. And then as I'm driving there, I drive by Lincoln Park in front of my house. And there's the junior hires and the high schoolers are having their I Heart Pomona, I Love Pomona Day, in which they just spend the whole day serving the community of Pomona. And so as I drive out of my driveway and drive away, here's a bunch of junior hires and high schoolers cleaning up, picking up trash in Lincoln Park. And they devoted themselves, our high schoolers and junior hires, uh, to serving 15 local businesses here in Pomona. And then they did water bottle evangelism. And then they spent time, I drove by the campus on my way to Operation Hope. And there are you know, students out praying for our campus, taking our campus in quadrants and praying over different quadrants of our campus and, and praying for our, our, our community. Let's hear it for our junior hires and our high schoolers. And, that, and that's just what I happened to see. And, and I'm finding out stuff we're doing all the time. And people are like, Glenn, doesn't that make you uptight that the leader, you know, doesn't know what's going on? And I have a saying with the staff, Adrian will tell you this, if I know everything going on, not enough is going on. And, and I say that all the time. I'm never one of those leaders that gets uptight. If I didn't know about that, I think that's awesome. I didn't know about that. And it's just amazing how God is using uh, you as a church and just day after day after day after day. And can I say something that's um, a little bit of reverse snobbism? I think there's a huge advantage in being part of a Pomona church. And I know that many of you drive from other communities to, to serve and to give in a church in the heart of, of Pomona. And I think there's a huge advantage to that for us because we are close to the people in need. As a church, we don't have to send help far away. We don't have to go far away to serve. We see need up close and personal. One of our assistants who used to work at a different church and now came to work at at Purpose Church, she told me a beautiful insight that she had had, a thing that had happened to her, and I asked her to write it up uh, so so that I could share it with you. Let me read it to you. She writes, the last church I was attending was in a very affluent area of Los Angeles. We had a beautiful campus and very successful congregants who gave to the church generously. I consistently received phone calls at the office from people who wanted to donate money 
or suits or Bibles so that we can ship them to the inner city and overseas churches. At one point, I got so many phone calls to donate pianos that we had to have a no piano donations policy. The missions partners we had were rarely local, but I'm pleased of the many charities we were able to donate to through our church's efforts. That is the culture. God has blessed us abundantly, and we share that abundance with those less fortunate. Shortly after God called me to Purpose Church, I received a phone call. A woman called asking about financial and clothing donation. Without thinking, I confidently told her where she can drop off her unwanted clothes. I even told her she can do it any time at her convenience because the drop-off bin is accessible at any time of day. The church office can issue her a tax-deductible donation receipt. Then, with a rather embarrassed tone, she told me she was hoping to receive help, not to give it. I was in shock for a few seconds. After receiving three years' worth of donation-related phone calls in a more affluent community, it didn't even occur to me that there are phone calls asking for donations rather than giving donations. Even though she was the one who sounded embarrassed, I was the one who was embarrassed deep down. At home, I was almost in tears telling my husband what had happened. On one hand, I was ashamed and surprised at how easily I got conditioned to think of generosity as something to do to make me feel good and at my own convenience, not unlike a celebrity-centric philanthropy-as-hobby mentality. On the other hand, I was proud to be at Purpose Church, where we are not only at the front lines of saving souls for eternity, but also at the front lines of changing lives here and now. That phone call changed my paradigm of doing ministry. It showed me that being generous is not a spectator sport at Purpose Church. It certainly wasn't for Jesus. Even though I didn't receive any financial assistance or clothing that day, Purpose Church's generosity changed my life. And then she finished with a quote by Winston Churchill, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Um, I want us just to look for just a couple of minutes at Luke 16 and the parable of the shrewd manager. Now, the placement of this story is, is fascinating. It's, it's, it's really interesting here, okay? Because um, uh, the, the placement of this story comes right after Luke 15. Now, remember, there were no chapter markings. Pastor Eric said that a few weeks ago, just a reminder to us that there are no chapter markings. When Luke wrote it, it was just one continuous book, Okay. So one of our theme chapters as a church, it's a chapter we go back to regularly whenever we do some big new thing. It's kind of like reminding us of our roots and our DNA is Luke 15. It's the lost chapter. Uh, it starts with the parable of the lost sheep, then the story of the lost coin, then the story of the lost son, otherwise known as the prodigal son. And we always go back to that to remind us that our church, we need to be oriented outwardly out, 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 and God will bless our needs as we do that, rather than focusing on our needs, our needs, our needs, and we're always frustrated because our needs never been met. So Luke 15 is like, if you want to know the heartbeat of Purpose Church, it's Luke chapter 15. But what's fascinating is the story that follows right after it. And, and it's one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. It's one of the strangest. It's one of the hardest for Bible scholars uh, to, to interpret, but it makes perfect sense when it follows Luke 15. Because Luke 15 is all about, as, as followers of Christ, make your orientation outward, outward, outward. Then this story says, and make your finances line up with your heartbeat. Use your finances as leverage, as a way to go to heaven and to take lost people with you there. 
Luke chapter 16, uh, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. Boy, can I relate to that. I've been at a desk job for 35 years, and I am not strong enough to dig. And, and I'm ashamed to beg. He wasn't ashamed to rip off the, the owner, but he was ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted truly. Now, this is why Jesus was such an awesome teacher. Don't we like movies that have a twist at the end? Don't you like books that have a twist at the end? And that's why people, the crowd, just love the teaching of Jesus because it wasn't just same old, same old. They couldn't see where he was going with it a mile away. They're like, what? The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, see, the main point of this is not commending him being dishonest. He commended him because he acted shrewdly. As a matter of fact, many Bible scholars believe that what he did is he wrote off his commission. So he wasn't ripping off the owner. He was just making the owner look good by giving a discount price, and he took off his commission, okay? So he was giving up money now so that he could make a friend for the future, And so it says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Jesus said, the people of this world, they're shrewd saying, you should save for retirement. You should save for retirement. But he says, we as believers, we need to be just as shrewd and say, we should save for retirement. But retirement isn't age 65. Retirement is heaven. So we should be just as shrewd in investing for our ultimate retirement as Um, they were, uh, as the people of the world are, for their earthly um, retirement. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And here's the main point of the story. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends. Use worldly wealth to go to heaven and to take your friends with you. Use worldly wealth to give to missionaries in Thailand. So you run into a young girl or a young boy in Thailand who came to Christ through one of our water projects, and they say, thank you, you are my friend because you invited me there. Or this also carries with it the idea of the poor. And so those in need of Christ and those of need of, of, of material things, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, and it will be gone someday, just as surely as the Chicago fire wiped out that man's possessions, we die, it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends, lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons, lost daughters. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. All right, here's the action step as you see it there in your, in your study outline. 
Uh, there's the, the practical helps and links to manage your finances to achieve financial freedom. There's the website. Pastor Adrian has made this website, so you just go to our website. You put in finances, uh, okay, and boom, there'll be all the resources there. Or I'd really encourage you, go out in the lobby and talk to Janet Gifford. She's the head of our financial team here, ministry team, and, and nobody's going to judge you. I'm telling you. No, no, we're all in this together. Nobody's going to judge. We just want to help because we believe that God blesses this kind of life, okay? So, let's stand up. Let's worship a little bit. Here we go.